Good. Thank you guys for your worship. Um, but good morning, church. I am so excited to be with you guys this morning. I got my caffeine in, so I'm ready. I hope that you guys are. Um, but I just wanted to start with a story, and you guys can go ahead and sit down. But this weekend, there was actually a concert in Minneapolis. There was a country festival. And so I don't know if all of you guys know, but I do videography for my work. And so somehow, through my job, I ended up getting a backstage pass to Leonard Skinner and, and Carrie Underwood and filming all these crazy people. And I actually didn't even know that Leonard Skinner was a band. I thought it was a person. So I was walking backstage, and I saw this guy in leather pants and like long white hair. And I was like, Leonard, is that you? <laughs> it, he was in the band, but I, I quickly learned. Um, but I just wanted to share that because I think sometimes we're like, how did we end up here? Like, like I was like, how did I do this? I really don't know. I did not feel like I deserved to be there. But then I think about the gospel in a way. We think about how Jesus died for our sins, even, even when we denied him, and how we think, wow, did I deserve that? No, but he still did it. He still pursued us. He still loved us. And these past two weeks, I was actually on a missions trip to Utah and Idaho. And it was super, super interesting being there because most of the population is Mormons, um, the Church of LDS, Latter-day Saints. And so while there are some similarities to what we believe, they believe in Jesus, but their gospel is different than the gospel of the Bible. In Romans 10, it says that if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that he is resurrected from the dead, that he has overcome death. We can have eternal life with him. However, in their religion, they believe that everyone goes to heaven, and there's actually three levels of heaven, and that you get to different levels through your works, and through your faith, and through your deeds. And it's really heartbreaking to see this, because they, they see Jesus, but yet they're living a life where they have to strive. They have to strive to be with him. And we know that faith without works is dead, but that does not change our salvation. And so it was so important as we were there just to speak the gospel, to speak the truth, the word of God, because there's so much power in the living word of God. And so that's really what I wanted to speak on this morning with you all. So we're just going to start from the beginning. If you would open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, where it all began. So as you guys know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created the night and the sky, day and night. He created the creatures and the sea. And at the end of it all, he said that it is good. And so I want to start reading in chapter 26. And it says, God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so I love this because instantly, as God created man, he instantly is speaking identity. He's speaking value and he's speaking worth because he says he, that we are made in his image. And he actually uses the word are, so he's talking about the Trinity. So we are made in the Father's image, the Holy Spirit's image, Jesus' image. 
And we can find so much joy in knowing that alone. So moving on, let's read chapter 2. After he's made man, he's made creature, he said that we have dominion over creature. We're moving on to chapter 2, verse 8. It says, The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the garden, out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life, and was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Moving on to verse 16, it says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat out of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And so instantly, it's a test of obedience. It's a test of trust. Do we trust God? Do we trust his definition of good and evil, that he's not withholding any good thing from us? And so God goes on to make Eve, and they live in the garden. And verse 25 says, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. They were not ashamed. They lived in obedience to Jesus. They knew that they were made in his image, and they were not separated from him. And so now let's move on to chapter 3. And this is where everything takes a turn. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the, tr of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Instantly, there's so many things that just happened in those verses because the serpent comes to Eve to deceive her. And the first thing he asks is a question. He says, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The first thing he does is plant a seed of doubt in Eve because God didn't say that they couldn't eat of any tree in the garden. He said that there was one tree that they could not eat. And so already, the, the serpent is deceiving Eve in what God has said. And even Eve gets what God says wrong. She says, you shall not eat of the, free, of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. God never said that she couldn't touch it. So already she doesn't know what God said. She doesn't know the truth. She's not able to defend against the serpent. And that's when she starts to give in to the doubt. Verse 4 says, but the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. And so as soon, as soon as they are disobedient to the Lord, they feel shame. They start to cover themselves. They start to try to fix what they have done. They start to try to fix their own, sh their own sin. But we know that we cannot, we cannot do anything to erase our own sin. And this is my favorite part, Verse 8 of chapter 3 says, 
And then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? I love this. I love this because even in their sin, even in their shame and their guilt, God does not start with that. He simply asks, where are you? Their sin has separated them from him, but all he wants is relationship with them, not for what they've done, but for who they are. And he says, who told you you were naked? And I think of this in our lives. Many lies come into our mind. Even the shame and guilt. The enemy wants us to feel shame and guilt because it keeps us further away from the Lord, right? Because when we're in our shame and our guilt, we can, it's easy to live in sin. We're like, oh, well, I already messed up. I might as well keep sinning. Or I don't know if you guys have ever heard someone say, oh, well, I'm going to hell anyways. But we don't have to because God has overcome death. God has already been the atonement for our sins. And God approaches them and says, who told you you were naked? And not only does he ask them that, but he begins to defend them. He says, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I've commanded you not to eat? Verse 12, the man says, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is that that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate it. I think it's interesting because instantly they start blaming everybody. Adam's like, it's Eve's fault, and you gave me Eve, so it's your fault too. And Eve's like, no, it's the serpent's fault. And the serpent's like, whatever, like, yeah, I deceived them. I think we do that so often as well, right? We don't want to accept the sin that we've done. We don't want to accept that we've messed up. We don't want to confess our sins even when God gives us the chance to. And the thing is, is that they started to believe that God was withholding good from them. They started to define sin themselves. But God is the only one that can define our sin, not us. And so when we believe that God is withholding good from us, sin seems a little more tempting. Sin is always going to be tempting to the flesh. It's we're, we're going to desire it in our flesh. But in the long run, God is only trying to protect us from evil. And we can start to belittle the consequences of sin, right? I'm sure in that moment when they began to disobey God, they didn't, start, they didn't begin to think of all the consequences that would come from that. And so that's what God does next. He starts to say all the consequences. And he starts with the serpent. And he says, in verse 14, the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And verse 15 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And this is a super important verse because it's actually the first verse that implies the gospel. And so in verse 15, at the end, it says that he shall bruise your head. He's talking to the serpent. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Who is he? He is Jesus. 
the offspring of man, Jesus, the line of Abraham, the line of David, Jesus, bruises the head of the enemy when he overcomes death on the cross. And yes, it does say that the serpent shall bruise his heel, and I believe that's talking about spiritual warfare because the enemy will still attack us. But the head injury is so much more impactful than the heel injury, amen? Verse 21, chapter 3, verse 21, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. And so in between those two verses, God also gives consequences to Adam and Eve. But I always would just kind of skim over verse 21, that the Lord made skin for them. I didn't really think much of it. But when you think of that, he made skin for them. That means that there was a sacrifice, that there was a sacrifice for, of an animal, that there was blood. And I believe that symbolism, right, of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. And so Jesus, he sacrificed an animal so that they no longer had, no longer had sin. They were forgiven, no longer had shame, no longer had guilt. He, he replaced their figs and leaves with skins of an animal. And do you know what that means? Skins of an animal is leather. My guys were wearing leather in the garden. I love that, right? So am I. I got my leather jacket on tonight. It's not real, but <laughs> I tried my best. Um, but I think that's beautiful because we think of restoration, right? But it wasn't just restoration. There was redemption in that. They went from figs to leather. And another story when I was in Utah, there was this moment we were praying for people being human trafficked. It was just a prayer day. Um, and God just gave me the words Ezekiel 37. And I love the book of Ezekiel, but I had no idea what chapter 37 was. And as I turned to it, it talked about dry bones coming to life again. And I've heard so many stories about that. I've heard so many songs about it, but I never actually read it myself. And when I began to read it, I realized that not only did the dry bones come to life, but also God gave them flesh. God gave them skin. Not restoration, redemption. And he's doing the same for us. And as I was speaking, a man stood up and he told us all about how his, his brother was in rehab. And when he had visited his brother in rehab, there was a little bone on the ground, and he picked it up. He didn't know why, just to remind him of that moment. And he said, that bone is in my pocket right now. And I believe that word is for me, and I think that shows how, how intentional Jesus is, that he sees you, that he sees you in the midst of what you're going through, that he sees you in your shame and your guilt. But he says, no, don't hide. You don't need to hide. You don't need to live in the shame and the guilt. You don't need to believe the lies that they've told you. You have authority. I've given you authority over those lies. And I'm defending you. And I've already made the atonement for your sins. You cannot work for your salvation. He's already done it. Verse 23. Therefore the Lord God sent them out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. So I just want to read a couple more verses. Um, I, I think it's beautiful how well Genesis 1 through 3 actually ties into Matthew 1. And so I'm going to move there. Um, 
but in the beginning of Matthew 1, there's a genealogy. And it talks about a lot of different people. It's talking about the origin of Jesus. So we, we have all these people listed in here because they're a part of Jesus' lineage, because they're a part of his past. But not to stay in the past. It's actually so that we can understand who Jesus is. And so he sets it up. Verse 1 says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so he's including the son of David and the son of Abraham because it's a part of the prophecy. But he's also setting it up to tell who Jesus is, that he's a king, that he's a fulfiller, that he's a messiah. And Matthew, he wrote this book. He did something super interesting. He actually included four women. And that's not normal. That's super rare. But all of these women were women who feared, feared God and women who God redeemed. And so I love that because it shows right from the start, no, the gospel is meant for everyone. No one is too far to be saved by Jesus. So it talks about the genealogy in verse 1. And in verse 15, it says that Jesus was born. Sorry, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. So it's setting up the story but something super, super cool. I had to take Greek this year in school. It was terrible. <laughs> it was so hard, but it was worth it. So the New Testament is written in Greek. And so the first word in verse 1, genealogy, and the word in verse 18, birth, are actually the same word in Greek. And do you know what that word is? It's Genesis. Genesis. And so Genesis means genealogy, but they're also saying it means birth, which I think it's super interesting that we just read Genesis, and now Matthew 1 is all about Jesus's origin. It all ties together. God is so intentional in every single word. And so I know you guys have heard the story before um, that Jesus is born, but while I was reading this the other day, I thought it was super interesting that God is that Jesus is given two names, and that's really the first thing that we know about him. Verse 23 of chapter 1 says, Behold, oh, I'm sorry, it's verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's the first thing we know about Jesus from his name, that Jesus saves, Yahweh saves. That's what Jesus' name means. And the second thing, verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So right away, we know that Jesus saves, and we know that God is with us. That's the first thing that he wants us to know, that he saved you and that he's with you. And I think that this means so much to me because I don't know about you guys, but in my times, where I feel like God is far away, where I feel like God has left me, where maybe I even start to blame God for things that happen in my life. He's with us. He's never, he's never left us. And we must hold on to that promise in the highs and the lows, that he's with us and that he saved us. And now this is all going to start to tie together. But verse 1 of chapter 2 says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of Jews? For we saw his star when it rose from the east and came to worship him. And then verse 10 
through 11 says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary and his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And so Jesus is born, but there's something super important in this text that I think that we can just breeze over, and that's that the star was in the east. And so many times in the Bible, in the Old Testament especially, when people are separated from God, when they are in exile, they're going east. And so even in the garden, it says when Adam and Eve are exiled from the presence of God and from access to the tree of life, they are sent out eastward. So when they're leaving God's presence, they are sent out eastward. To re-enter the garden, they would have had to travel west. But the star was born in the east. Jesus was born in the east. Where we once were separated, Jesus is born. Every single thing that he does is so intentional. And he has never left us. And so I want to encourage you with that today as we know, as the gospel goes on, Jesus dies on the cross for our sins. Three days later, he's resurrected, and he's the atonement for our sins, and we are no longer separated from him. But I think it's so beautiful how intentional he is all throughout the word. And Anna, you can come on up. Um, But I just want to encourage you guys this morning to never forget Never forget the gospel because we have the best news. We have good news that Jesus has saved us, that he has overcome sin, that he has overcome every single principality, every single thing that we thought had a hold on our life. He's already defeated it. He's already taken our weight. He felt the weight of all of our sin when he died on the cross. And we could never earn that ourselves. We can never deserve that ourselves. And I think maybe for us, it's a, it's a little easier to believe this because we've grown, up, we've grown up hearing it. And I don't want us to water down the gospel at all. But I think that it's also important that we remember who God says that we are, that we are made in his image. And that our works, our deeds, that doesn't change our value to him. We're still made in his image. And he's made you simply to have relationship with you. Hosea 6.6 says that God desires steadfast love, not sacrifice. And I think that he sees our sacrifice and he sees that as a sign of love. But above all, that's not what he desires. He simply desires you. He simply desires to be in relationship with you. To be near to you. And maybe this morning you feel like God is asking, where are you? Where are you? I want to be with you. I want to spend time with you. But he's never left you. Even when we start to cover ourselves up with fig leaves, even when we try to fix it ourselves, he's been there the whole time, the entire time. And he's the atonement. But he's not just that. He's the king. And he's not just that. He's our father. And he's not just our father, he's our friend. He saved us. Yahweh saves. Jesus means Yahweh saves. Emmanuel, God is with us. And that's what he wants you to know this morning. That when he knit you together in your mother's womb, it was simply because he wanted relationship with you. And so, 
we're just going to enter into a time of worship before we leave. Um, but this next song is all about that. It's all about the fellowship in the garden that we have with Jesus, that we can be in communion with him, and that what we do doesn't change who we are, and it doesn't change how he loves us. So if you guys would just stand up, I'm just going to pray over us. Um, and I also just want to pray, maybe you haven't accepted Jesus into your life, but I promise you that is the best decision that you will ever make. Because not only does it change your eternity, but it changes the now. He's given you authority to overcome any lie, to overcome any temptation. So let's just pray and then we're going to sing it out. Yeah, dear God, we love you, Father. We're so thankful for you, Jesus. We're so thankful, God, that we do not have to to strive for your love, that we do not have to strive for salvation, but that it's a free gift, that you've clothed us, God, that you've sacrificed for us, God, that you've made us to be with you, Jesus. And I just want to pray, God, for anyone that that wants to enter into relationship with you, Jesus. We believe that you are Lord. We believe that you are King, that you have overcome death, that you have conquered it all, that you have resurrected God, and we want you in our hearts, Jesus, every single day. I pray that we would leave more hungry this morning, that this message would not satisfy us, but that we would go home, we would begin to study the word, that we would know the word so that we can overcome any sin, God, because you have given us dominion over the creatures. You have given us authority over the serpent, over the devil, God, over the lies, Jesus. And so that's what we are surrendering today. We are surrendering the lies to you, Jesus. And we are believing that you are here with us always because you said that's who you are. And we know that you speak truth, Jesus. And so we worship you today. We're so thankful for you today. And I pray that this would not just be in our heads, but it would be in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.